questions, anything specific, reach out to me, uh, Tanner at dripjobs.com. You can use actually use the help desk if you want, uh, and we'll be ready to go. So Maggie, you're, uh, you're, you're on, and I want to thank you guys for being a part of this. Let's give Maggie our attention and she's going to do her thing. I'm excited to sit in and, and, uh, thank you guys for joining blast off 2023. Thanks Tanner. Is everything working? Okay. You're good to go. Everything's great. Yeah. You're you're on. Yay. We made it. I am very um, inspired Tanner. That was a lot of energy and a lot of really cool information. All right. Um, Unfortunately, I have a topic that is you're going to like whiplash from this. So this isn't like a jazzed up, let's get fired up and sell. So am I allowed to say bad words on this? Um, sell some things. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is, uh, this is a little bit more um, kind of ethereal brain thinking for business owners. So get your thinking caps on. We are going to dabble into some math. So I will make sure to share this with Tanner. So those of you on ladders driving, doing all those fun things can access some of the equation stuff later. So excuse me. I am going to talk to you guys today about planning for growth. And I am both going to share some of my expertise from the entrepreneurship and business side, but also from the straight up um, fact that we did not plan for growth. And so it has been quite a journey for us. So hopefully some of our stories you can learn from both what we did well and what we didn't. So Um, As Tanner said, I'm the CEO of Harpeth Painting. We are located in Nashville, Tennessee, and we'll talk a little bit more about our business as we get into this. This is my 11, almost 12-year-old daughter. Her name is Lucy. She's our oldest. And she's one of those kids that, like, she says things and you're like, wow, I can't believe you had the guts to say that, slash, that is the most wise statement I've ever heard from a child. And she asked us the other day, we were in the kitchen making dinner, my husband and I on the company together. She said, mom, did you guys open Harpeth Painting to make money? Or did you guys open Harpeth Painting to have a team of people that you like? And I was just like shell-shocked by her question. I mean, she basically took this existential question as a business owner. Why did you start your business? And why are you maintaining your business? Um, and just dropped it on us on like a Tuesday afternoon while I made spaghetti. So, um, I think it's really powerful when you kind of step back and think, yeah, like, why did I grow this company? Um, we all probably know why we started it, but I think sometimes why you start it and why you grow it are two very different questions. So we're going to revisit Lucy's wisdom a few times today. Um, so as I mentioned, we're a commercial and residential. We do new construction. We do repaint. We do wall covering. We do specialty finishes. We do light industrial. Literally, if you've ever heard me talk about our business, we are a business model that looks like a terrible idea on paper. Um, it is not, it is not a typical business model. Um, but we have somehow made it work and made it work pretty well. You can see on this graph here, our unthrottled growth. We just figured out how to massively grow. And I wish I could say it was on purpose, but it was very much not. And I'm very much still recovering from that. So our first few years was pure bootstrapping. We, it was me and Matt, we did everything ourselves, obviously not painting. We had 
some very loyal and awesome subcontractor crews that we work with. And we just made it to 2.4 million in three years with no staff. So it was me and Matt and our painters. So talk about doing a lot when we're juggling both new commercial and our neighbor's resurrected paint. I mean, we were all over the board. So we slowly hired some team um, as our revenue grew, but at the same time, we were still very unrefined. We didn't have any systems. We did everything out of Excel, Dropbox. We had no softwares. And I just say, this is our cowboy phase. We just kind of uh, made it through. And now we are getting a little bit more to the refined. We're a professional company. Um, I think most of our clients would say that we were professional from the external, from the get-go, because we were um, on time, did what we were supposed to do, you know, ran professional estimates electronically, invoice electronically. It wasn't totally the Wild West, but now we're definitely building an internal infrastructure that is much more professional. So growing that fast, we literally doubled in size for the first five years. There was some good to it. I'm not going to say there wasn't. We had amazing opportunities. And I think, you know, um, momentum brings opportunity. And so when we had something go well, it kind of brought this opportunity for what's the next thing that's like it. Um, our relationships kept growing. If we started working for a designer and she had another designer on her team that needed a painter, it was kind of just exponential how those relationships grew. Obviously, the revenue grew, which was very nice, particularly in the bootstrap stage. And we got all kinds of experience. We pretty much said yes to anything that we could watch on YouTube and figure out. So we were able to try lots of new products. I remember on our second year of business, you know, mind you, it's just us. We're growing cash for a young family. And my husband brought home a sandblaster. And when I mean home, I mean in our garage because we didn't have a shop. It's like, why'd you buy a sandblaster? He's like, oh, I got a job for, for one. It's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to learn how to sandblast. And we had very little overhead early on. We definitely, um, up until the last couple of years, have kept our overhead extremely low. Cons to that much growth is cash flow. So we obviously do contract work for new commercial and new residential. So that's pay when your client gets paid. So we would bill on one month and might not see that money for another 60 to 70 days. That's a long time when you're a growing business. And so cash flow got really tight at certain times. As I mentioned, our infrastructure was um, weak. It was uh, hand built. And the second we hired someone, they broke it because they didn't know how to do what we had built ourselves. Minimal support team until obviously we brought people on. Again, we didn't have all the experience. Most of our painters were experienced. Matt had a huge background in commercial construction, but at the same time, um, we were new at this and we were new at managing these projects. And the most important thing was just balance. We were so off balance. We were very much um, working a lot. And our child probably saw that first question, which is, are you doing this for the money? Because it seems like a lot of work. Then became our turning point. And one day Matt looked at me, um, he had started to figure it out. I was still just grinding because in my brain, it was, we have to keep getting revenue. We have to keep getting jobs or this is all going to fall apart. It just became this hamster wheel of, I need more work. I need more work. I need more work. 
And Matt was like, where is the joy in this? If we're not doing this to be able to enjoy the people on this screen and the things that they love, then why are we doing this? We're not going to continue to spin our wheels. And so that's when we really decided it was about three or four years ago. How can we actually build and grow this company to make it our freedom machine, to make it where we can take our kids out to the Mexican restaurant and not worry about the tab to let our daughter dive into her beloved sport of horseback riding, which is very expensive, um, to let my husband duck hunt and have the bandwidth to go hunting on the weekends, to take our kids on beach vacations, et cetera. Um, we're not asking to go to Europe and do lavish stuff. You're welcome to do that if that's your thing, but we're just trying to maintain a lifestyle for our family. You know, if you've been in this industry, if you've walked around at live events, you know that the number one thing people ask is, well, what's your revenue? What's your revenue? What'd you do last year? And that question drives me crazy for a million reasons, but more so because I got caught in that trap. And I love this quote by Venus Williams. Um, I didn't, I don't focus on what I'm up against. I focus on my goals and I try to ignore the rest. And that is so countercultural to think, forget who else is doing this, but what are my goals and how can I ignore the outside voices and make this work for me? So growth in and of itself is kind of a weird thing. Um, when we talk about growth in a business, I think we always think it's financial. Everyone thinks growth means revenue increase, but it doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it can mean profit increase. Sometimes growth is the size of your team. Um, maybe you're not necessarily growing your revenue significantly, but you've made the right decisions to put things in place to grow your team. Maybe you want to grow geographically. I know there's a lot of people dabbling in the thought of opening multiple locations and, um, or spreading out your current team to a wider radius of work. And then for us, growth was how can we grow in our freedom? How can we grow the time that we have to do the things we love, including work, but including family, including personal activities, et cetera. And sometimes it's personal. Maybe growth needs to happen inside of you, whether it's you as a business owner or you as a spouse, parent, sibling, <laughs> et cetera. Sometimes we just need to grow personally and see how that impacts, impacts our lives. So once you've kind of thought about what growth you might find to be interesting, I think it's even more important to dig into where does your desire for growth come from? Is it that you're wanting to grow the business in a way that provides you financial freedom, whether that's growing your profit, growing your revenue, growing your team, or some combination of those growing your company can bring financial freedom if done properly. Is your desire for growth, a social comparison? Is it you feeling like you want to be able to rub elbows with the big dogs? Is it you wanting to be able to sit at the next table that's for three to 5 million instead of 1.5 to 3 million? Or is it for you wanting to not be um, the company that hasn't hit that quote unquote million dollar mark yet? Is this a social thing that you're facing and struggling with? Is it because you think it's just what you're supposed to do? I think this was a huge thing that we fell into early on um, particularly 
because our clients wanted us for more work. And so I just thought, oh, well, if the market's asking us to do this, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. That's how business works, right? Your market asks for more. So you give them more. Seems like simple economics sometimes. Are you growing out of fear? I know personally, this is a big one for me. I got on that hamster wheel of, well, if we don't sell more jobs, we're not going to have revenue. If we don't sell more jobs, we're not going to be able to pay our bills. And I got on this fear spiral of just making sure that we had a large enough company that I wasn't going to worry. And I realized that's not true, but we'll get to that. Diversification. Sometimes you're desiring to grow because you want to add new um, channels for your company. You want to diversify the products that you offer. And both financially and logistically, sometimes that requires growth. We wanted to build out a concrete flooring division and concrete is a much more expensive endeavor than paint. It requires significant equipment. And so for us to be able to diversify, we had to grow. We needed bigger teams and we needed a bigger infrastructure. For some of you, it's market dominance. Maybe you just want to be the best in the market. And that requires you to have bigger marketing dollars and a bigger team. And the list can go on. I'm sure there's something that popped up in your brains today that is why you want to grow that you just haven't quite put your head on. But in the end, if you're anything like me, this whole idea of planning for growth and deciding on growth and contemplating growth feels a lot like this picture. Um, when paired with the daily tasks and daily stresses of owning a business, the thought of sitting back and truly trying to strategize your growth is extremely overwhelming. And I'm sure if I was Tanner, I'd be like, yeah, drop me a chat if you agree or whatever. He said that was really cool, but I'm not emojis. that type of person. Sorry. <laughs> the emojis. Emoji. The emojis. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. <laughs> um, so anyways, so the big thing I wanted to talk about today, and when Tanner asked me to talk, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a message I want to shout to the rooftops for everyone in the industry. And I don't get a lot of opportunities to, so I'm grateful to be able to talk about this. But today I want you guys to completely back burner what I just mentioned on growth, obviously digging into your why and understanding um, what growth looks like for you is super important. But I want everyone to pause that thought process, whether it's driven for good reasons or driven for questionable reasons. And I want to disrupt this thinking a little bit and look at growth another way. I believe growth should mean number one, creating an income to meet your personal goals. Bottom line, this business should be your freedom machine. This business should allow you to make the goals that you've had for yourself, your family, whatever your little home unit is possible. Growth should allow you to build wealth. That means investing. That means savings. That means not living paycheck to paycheck. Growth means freedom to focus on our lives. So the time, the bandwidth, the capacity, the mental energy to be able to focus on your lives, whether that's your family, your hobbies, your community, your church, et cetera. The mindset that we're going to spend the next 30, 40, however many years doing this nine to five grind of painting followed by estimates in the evening after the kids to go to bed, et cetera, is not sustainable. 
Um, and if you're one of those people like, yeah, I always got to be going, I'm a go-go person. I love that. I think that's great, but maybe there's something else you can go when more crowlers are done. Um, but I think growth should be completely looked at differently in our industry. And instead of saying, man, I want to get to that million dollar mark or man, I want to get to that next point or whatever is driving that growth. Let's take a pause and let's say, Hey, what do I want my life to look like financially, logistically, emotionally, schedule wise, and let's start to plan our growth based on that. So instead of the market driving growth, and then hopefully you make a profit, I'm going to challenge today as we go through a couple little math exercises that you take your goals, you take your core values, and that's where your business plan comes from. The market can come in and the market can help twi twist and, and tweak. For us, I joke that our business model is actually on paper a really bad idea but it's worked for us. It's, it's a way that our market has spoken to us and we've allowed it to become successful. So yes, the market does have an impact on, on our company and on our growth, but it is foremost our goals, our core values, and that has shaped our business plan. So a little asterisk note on core values. Um, uh, I love core values and that's my other favorite soapbox to stand on is talking about the importance of core values in your company. But just a quick note, um, if you don't have established core values, I really challenge you to, um, to, to form some. It can be three simple phrases. It can be a really catchy sentence. It, can, it just needs to be something that you can hold standards to. Um, it's vital to your team's culture, whether it's you and your client experiencing the culture, or the culture that you've built amongst your leadership team. It's a non-negotiable in the hiring process. So our core values, if you can't meet them, you're out. We can train you to paint. We can train you to run estimates. But if you don't have our core values, this isn't going to work. And then it's at the root of every conversation. So as we talk about growth, as we talk about diversification, as we talk about all these complicated business forecasting things, we never let go of those core values. So... The math we're going to do today is called a bottom-up financial model. And I know some of you are multitasking in your vehicle, on your ladder, with your brush, et cetera. So I promise I'll get these uh, slides out to Tanner for however he's going to disperse them. So what the bottom-up model is, is it's basically saying, I'm going to take underlying components of my business, and that's going to decide my revenue, my profit, and my growth. So in this situation, what I mentioned earlier, you are the underlying component, what you want your life to look like, how much money you want to have in your bank account, this type of savings and retirement that you want to have or should have, that's the underlying component that we're going to build our growth off of. Very counterintuitive. So there's three steps to this. And I promise we're, we're going to go through the math pretty quickly. Um, because I was an English teacher, not a math teacher. So if we get too far into this, I'm going to start stuttering. But step one, you need to figure out what I like to call your monthly nut. This is like how much money it's going to take to operate your company or excuse me. Yeah. To operate your company. So this is your desired salary. You might have a salary right now that you're making that you can build your financials off of, but I encourage you to do this for your goal. What is your goal salary? 
Do you keep a budget? And if so, how much would you like it to be? What is your desired savings? And that's super important as a business owner. This is separate than our company's nest egg. This is you as a human wanting to have a savings. Your pass-through taxes. Um, for us, we're a pass-through LLC, so it's really all kind of the same, but knowing your taxes. And then knowing your fixed overhead. So these four things are like the non-negotiable Every functioning business should have these numbers. And so your fixed overhead are the expenses that don't change. They might change a little bit each month. Obviously your electrical bill will change, but you know, you have an electrical bill every month. You know, you have to pay insurance every month. You know, you have to pay X over every month. So those are fixed overhead expenses. So here's a quick example. We're just going to pretend the overhead for a company is 21,000 a month. The owner makes $9,000 a month. They get an additional 2,000 for savings. And then they're putting away $3,000 for taxes. So all in all, we know that every month to make this business to run, to turn the lights on, to pay the owner and to be responsible is going to cost $35,000. Step two, determine your necessary operating margin. Now we're getting businessy. These are business words that people have to Google, but this is your profit once your cogs or cost of goods sold and expenses are subtracted from revenue. Another way to put it, for each dollar of revenue that's generated, how much goes to your operating income? Revenue minus your variable costs equal your operating margin, okay? So in this situation, you're going to use your most recent fiscal numbers. So I'm going to look at 2022 for me, and I'm going to take my revenue. I'm going to subtract my variable costs. So my subcontractor costs, my uh, labor and materials, my equipment rentals, et cetera. I'm going to subtract that from my revenue. And I now have my operating margin. Example, say the company had a million dollars in revenue. It spent about 700,000 in variable costs that will bring the operating margin to 300,000. So 30%. So step three, we're going to figure out our true break-even. This means if nothing else happens and Tanner had some great thoughts on, you know, lowering your price to be able to fill your calendar, which is super important. And knowing your break-even is huge. And I'm going to talk about why in a second, but knowing your break-even is very straightforward. Uh, there we go. So same numbers. We have our $35,000 monthly nut. We're going to put in our overhead of 21,000. We have a 30% operating margin. We have our variable costs and we have our revenue. So with this number, I know that if I produce $50,000 of revenue in a month based on my variable costs as they've been previously, based on my operating margin, based on my overhead and what I wanna pay myself, I need to produce $50,000 of work each month for a break even. That's a huge number to know, because if you want to take that awesome exercise that Tanner did 
say best case scenario, we hit all of our production rates. My guys do great. I don't over or under order on paint. If I hit 50,000 in revenue, we will break even. So if you're marketing a job up at 55% and you know you're break even, you know how far down you can go to lower that price, to be able to sell that job in the winter without going upside down. So a true break even is a number that I think is not studied enough in our industry. I, I talked to a lot of contractors and when they asked me about growth and scaling and hiring and all these things, I always start by saying, number one, are you making the money you want to make as an individual? And number two, what's your break even? This is going to help you know how to grow. There are going to be parts of growth where profit is lower. Right now we're having a huge growth valley this year. We've invested a lot of money in hires knowing that that'll take our revenue up. But right now we're in a little bit of a valley. We know our break even, so I know what I need to sell to at least stay above water in that valley. This also generates sales goals, right? So if you know your true break even is 50,000 a month, produce, sold, build, then you need to be figuring out how much you need, how many estimates you need to go on. You have a 50% close rate. You have an average job size of 10,000, et cetera, et cetera, and start figuring out what those sales goals are going to be. And then again, like I mentioned, you know how to adjust your costs and you know how to cost. So if you're still struggling with how much to charge for this, well, I don't care how much you charge for it. It depends how fast your painters are and what your break even is. doesn't matter what Corey's charging. doesn't matter what Tanner is charging. None of that matters if you don't know your costs. So we're going to do two quick case studies just so you can kind of see how these numbers pan out. Uh, this is Bowtie Painting Company. Some Florida supermodel decided that he was not making enough money as a model and he was going to start a paint company. He's married. He has a baby on the way, so he's got to get some money in the bank account. His goal for his monthly family income is $11,000 a month. That's a lovely living for a family of soon to be three in Florida. The goal for his family savings is 4,000 and the goal for his monthly tax savings is 3,500. These are all pretty accurate, rough numbers. Um, you'll note at the bottom that NACE has some financial stats. Um, you can always shoot me an email. I have these all as PDFs, Maggie at harpethpaintingllc.com. But knowing industry standards just outside of what people just spew off Facebook is super helpful. So let's pretend that Bowtie painting. We've got a $10,000 overhead. He's running it out of his garage. He's bootstrapping, pretty much paying for the bare minimum insurance and um, other overhead expenses. Wants to make $11,000 a month, $4,000 savings, and $3,500 in taxes. So, all in all, we have his operating margin at $28,500. So, to figure out his variable expense, we're going to stick with on average note. I said it's usually about 71% cost of sales. So that leaves about 30, 29, 30% industry standard for variable, variable expenses, excuse me. So we're going to divide 28.5 by 100 minus a variable expense. So we're going to call it 30%. So that means $40,714.28 is his break even monthly. I'm going to calculate in some net profit of 10%. It's a great industry standard. So now we're hoping $44,192 yeah, and 50 cents, excuse me, will be his 
um, goal each month. That is his necessary revenue monthly to achieve those goals. Best case scenario, everything goes well. So annually, he's going to sell half a million dollars just over, and he's going to start making money and welcome his baby into the world. All of this has nothing to do with his top line. We didn't come in saying, I need a million dollar company to be able to support my family. We came in saying, I need this much. I cost this much. Therefore, how much am I going to need? Case study number two, freedom painting. This is founded by a serial entrepreneur. He does not want to work. He wants to make money. He's got seven kids and a huge mortgage. He just loves to live life big. So looking at his numbers, we're going to overhead up to about 150,000. So pretty decent sized overhead. He's got a shop and some salaried employees, likes to pay for marketing. So this is about where we're going to land. He also wants to make a really good living. So he's going to pay himself $30,000 a month as salary. He's going to save 10 grand, and then he's going to assume about 22,000 in taxes. So we've got his monthly operating expense at 212,000. So we're going to figure out his variable expenses. I'm going to assume he's a little bit higher on his cost of sales. So his variable expense is going to be a little tighter than 30%. So we're going to say it's at 25%. So we know that for break even, he needs to hit $282,666 a month in revenue. We're going to build in a 15% net profit because again, he doesn't want to work. He wants to have a good lifestyle. So we're going to try to cushion that net profit. That's $325,066 a month in necessary revenue to achieve that lifestyle. So he's going to sell just under $4 million a year with that consistent overhead, all things best case scenario, and he's going to land at his personal goals. I bet if I would have told you that somebody wanted to make $30,000 a month, that you probably assumed they need much larger than a $4 million paint company. But it all depends on how you build this. It all depends on stacking these numbers and knowing your numbers and where they're coming from. So you've listened to some of this. You're thinking, I mean, yeah, I want to make $30,000 a month. That sounds amazing. How do I grow? Or maybe you're thinking, gosh, it seems like some of my numbers are kind of off from this. Maybe I need to revisit my financials. Or you're thinking, shoot, that bow tie painting where he was making 11 grand a month, only selling half a million dollars a year. That sounds way nicer than the stress that I'm dealing with now trying to hover around a million. So no matter where you are, um, we'll talk a little bit for, I don't know, five more minutes about what growth looks like. Um, growth in some curious way depends on being always in motion just a little bit one way or another. So as I mentioned on the previous slide, maybe you're thinking, God, I think I need to grow as a business owner. I think I need to better understand some things. I think I need to, uh, know my numbers a little more, or maybe you're thinking, shoot, man, I want to grow. I need more freedom in my life. I need more time. What can that business look like? Or you're thinking, yeah. Uh, growth is terrifying. And I actually want to grow the other way. I want to scale things back, tighten things up and have a better lifestyle or have a different lifestyle, excuse me. So um, this is from Harvard Business Review. Uh, sometimes I read nerdy business stuff. 
Um, if you've heard Nick Slavic talk about growth, you've kind of seen a similar map, which is basically this concept that um, notice it says size and then complexity of the company, not just size, but your company is going to grow and it's going to be in that early bootstrap existence survival stage. And then you're going to hit this dotted line where things get tough and you're either going to launch off and succeed, you're going to take off and you're going to grow, or you're going to disengage. And that's very much the typical lifestyle of a paint company, statistically proven. And so some of you might be in stage one and stage two, even if your company is quote unquote older. Notice the age of the organization says young and mature, not two years, 10 years. Okay. So this is just all based on the trajectory of your maturity. And that is not something you need to take with an ego. That is just the truth um, of how businesses grow. So if you're stuck in stage one or two, might be time to look at what that growth thing can be. What does it look like for you to, to grow um, so that you don't continue to push the survival stage and eventually have to disengage? Another map of growth, same Harvard Business Review, shows a little bit more explanation of what it's going to feel like to go through this. And this is where I say every single one of these steps, Matt and I have felt deeply, we have lived deeply, and we have probably cried through most of them. Um, you know, it starts off phase one, it's creative, it's new, it's fresh. You're like, I have my own company. This is awesome. I get to make my own logo and I get to form my own ideas and my own core values. And this is so awesome. And then you bring people on, look above the line at crisis of leadership. And you're like, oh, dang, wait, this is my company. I'm in charge. I have to make all the decisions. I'm where the buck stops. That just got heavy. And then you start thinking, okay, no, I can do this. I'm going to grow through direction. I'm going to I'm going to strategize this growth. I'm going to hire the right people. I'm going to build the customers that I want. And you start doing that. And then you hit, can I do this? Am I good enough for this? Can I build this company? And it kind of becomes this question of autonomy and, and what you're capable of. Um, then your team starts to build and you start delegating and you start realizing that some of your employees are more capable than you. I, I just remember hearing Years ago, someone say that once they finally hired a salesperson, they realized their salesperson could sell them under the bus. I mean, if that's not the truest statement I've ever heard, when we hired our first professional project manager, I was like, oh, huh, I'm really bad at managing projects. I see that now. Thank you for being a professional. Then you go into that crisis of control. And so right now, you know, you might be in this stage of your business where like, I've got all these employees, I'm starting to delegate with them, but man, they're not doing things like I would do them. And it feels weird. And it feels like it's out of control and not really um, something I have a handle on. And sometimes that's okay, but sometimes you have to reevaluate in that. Then it becomes growth through coordination. Um, you realize that your team is capable. You realize that they don't need to be relying on you and you can start to work with them for solutions. Then the crisis of red tape, et cetera, et cetera. You guys get the point. Funny enough, that's the same map that I showed you earlier on our revenue growth. And it could not align more perfectly with this map and the stages that we are at. It is to a T when we hit those cycles. 
And so as you grow, I would really argue that these are inevitable to experience these growth phases and they're going to feel awesome. And then they're going to feel terrible. And then you're going to be on top of the world. And then you're going to want to crawl into a corner. And that is just growth. It is awesome. And it is hard and it is empowering and it is terrifying. I wanted to show two other little numbers here. Um, there we go. Our net profit. Um, notice how our net profit went along these charts. I talked a little bit about dipping into valleys as you grow. And so as we grew, there were little valleys that we continued to hit as our numbers grew. Same thing with our owner's salary. Notice our owner's salary has plateaued. Matt and I are not growing to make more money. Matt and I are growing to increase our freedom. And I think that's an important thing to know. We make the same salary now as we made $4 billion in revenue ago. <laughs> and that's just because what we're trying to do with hires and with growth is to take us out of the day-to-day -day so that we can be more available for each other and for our children. All right, a couple more slides and then Corey, you're up, girlfriend. So how to grow. If you want to grow your revenue, I really recommend building out a marketing plan. Um, whether you hire one of the amazing companies that you're going to hear from um, this week or today and tomorrow, or you have a great strategic plan, but knowing strategic marketing versus just saying, well, I bought some Facebook ads and I sent some emails. I don't know why it's not working. Having a plan. Networking efforts. We grew our company to over $5 million by purely networking. We dug into our communities. We dug into referrals. We dug into um, friends of friends, um, not in a sleazy way. That sounds sleazy when I say it out loud, but to the point where it was, you know, us intentionally joining networking groups and making presence for our company. Diversify your services. Maybe it doesn't have to be something complicated like concrete flooring. Maybe you just want to try dabbling in um, lime wash and, and telling people that you do lime wash or learning how to hang wallpaper or learning how to dabble in plaster or whatever kind of one-off from painting you can do. Celebrate profit. If you have a team, bringing just this general idea of profit around is really going to gear up your team for excitement. And then lean into the customer experience. The better experience your customers have, the more chances that your revenue are going to grow, whether it's referral, repeat customer, et cetera. How to grow profit. Highly recommend bringing in an outside perspective, even if it's just a one-time kind of training thing, one-time review, but having someone else say, hey, why are these numbers looking like this is super valuable. Comparing your financials to industry standards, like I mentioned, I have a bunch of great numbers from NACE. Um, if you ever wanted to compare to average financial standards for our industry, reduce your overhead. Um, some companies don't operate lean and a great way to make your profit higher is to decrease that overhead. Maybe it's raising your prices. Um, I know people that have dabbled in this seen great success and other people see they found a glass ceiling. But if you haven't played around with raising your prices, um, we've even tried something this year where we tried to just add a hundred dollars to every invoice to see what happens. We run a lot of jobs in our company. So a hundred dollars on 300 and some jobs a year that added up review job costing regularly. See if there's patterns where your profits are. We know the divisions of our company that are 
the most significant in profit. And that's where we're trying to grow our marketing. The areas that are less profitable, instead of getting more of those jobs, we're just trying to figure out how to better profit on those jobs. How to grow your team. Lead with cash. Please, please, please. If you're looking to hire your team, do not hire people on your team if you do not have the cash to pay for them. Do not go into your line of credit to build your team. It is so important if you're bringing on the weight of an employee, the weight of another family's dinner on their table and electrical bill, you need to have the cash for that purchase. A lot of people don't know where to start with growing your team. I always encourage to really start with something that has an ROI, something that will come in and immediately impact either the profit or the revenue for your company. And that's a huge way to start hiring. Create an editable org chart and make sure to say that because my golly, it will change. But if you draw kind of something now and maybe your future goal for an org chart and know that you can pencil your way into those, that's a huge way to grow. We've probably made seven iterations of what our org chart looks like over the last two years, and it's going to continue to evolve, but it's definitely helped us see the holes and where we need to grow our team. Refine your onboarding process. It's a lot of work to bring on employees. It's a huge part of growth, but growth is going to be set back every time you have to continue to bring on an employee. So really making sure that your onboarding process, the process that somebody goes through when they get become a part of your team is dialed in so that you are fully ready to bring them on and they're fully prepared to work for you. And our biggest thing is hiring for culture, the loyalty. That's right, Corey, you're going to talk about this girl, the loyalty, the importance of the employee experience when you're hiring for culture, the buy-in. So when Matt and I are trying to increase profit and decrease the time that we spend in our business on a daily basis, that culture component is key. Everyone that we've hired, we know shares our core values shares in the deep passion and love for our company that we have, and that they are going to continue that culture experience for the rest of our employees and our clients. This is some of the pictures of our team. Um, we've grown from our first hire. Um, we had one and a half first hires early on to now we're about to bring on our 10th office employee. And it has been a wild ride and we've been to their weddings. We've painted paint it forward projects together. We do training together. Um, you can see in that picture looking down at us, our core values posted on the wall in the main area of our shop. Um, but if we've ever gotten a compliment, it's that people love our team. And that is the greatest compliment I could ever get. It means we've just built such an awesome culture of the people we've hired. And the last way that you might be interested in growing is freedom. You might want more time, more breathing room, more headspace, more something, um, creating systems that allow you to delegate. Uh, one of the simple things we did early on, Matt kept getting questions from our product project, production managers during the paint shortages about, um, well, they don't have this product. What should I get? They don't have this product. What should I get? The client wants this, but this isn't available. What do I do? And so we actually built like a super simple Excel spreadsheet with every single product, the substrate it could go on, a link to its TDS sheet and its price. 
super simple. So that instead of him having to answer the phone every time we had a paint question, there was a Excel document that took somebody maybe less than two days to make that allowed us to delegate, to not have to think. Develop your core values, as I've said before. This is going to lead your team's culture. Um, we're reading through extreme ownership right now with our team, and he talks about um, how culture exudes in through. And even when you take a good leader out of the picture, there's still going to be that awesome culture with the team that's left. Be okay with change. Sometimes you have to just know that your employees that you hire and that you trust and that you've put in to lead your company, whether it's leading on the job site, leading in the office, leading in sales, they might do things a little bit differently and you need to be okay with that. Knowing your numbers obviously is a huge part of freedom. If you don't have a good pulse on your numbers, it's not going to matter how much free time you have because you're still going to be worried about wondering what if and these like floating orbs of finances floating around in the world. And last thing, knowing how to grow your freedom, you need to know how to fill your cup. You need to know what you can do outside of work to make you better when you're at work, better when you're at home, the best version of yourself. Because if you, it's like those people who retire and they're like, crap, what do I do now with all this time? And they've got nothing because all they ever did is work. So knowing that if you're going to grow that freedom, you've got to have something awesome to fill your cup in that time. So Final thoughts. Did you remember that from Jerry Springer? It was the best. All right. Knowing your why behind your growth. So going back to my 11-year-old's wise question of just knowing why you want to grow and letting that be the driving factor in growth. Allowing this business to build your freedom. So taking that bottom-up model and let's look at how much money you want to make and grow from there. How much money do you want? And how much does it cost to run your business? That should drive your top revenue, not some arbitrary number that you hear other people shooting. Know what growth might feel like. So you saw our jagged jumps. You saw um, our graph of tears of celebrating and crying all in the same stage, but it's going to be a wild ride. Know what that might feel like. And then try to know how to plan for it. Um, don't be like us and just let the market drive you. Don't get halfway through realizing that you probably could have challenged this growth a little bit better, tightened it up a little bit more and been strategic. And lastly, don't do this alone. Um, I'm such a proponent of this paint community, um, particularly the PCA and just all these amazing groups that you have on Facebook. Um, you do not have to be alone. And sometimes being the owner of a business feels lonely. Sometimes it feels like you're sitting at the top with no one to celebrate with or no one to commiserate with. Um, you might have an awesome leadership team, but in the end, they lay their head on their pillow at night and they know that this isn't theirs. And so just knowing that you have a huge group of people, there's like, what, 150 people on this call. There are more with Tanner. There'll probably be more later in the day. This is just proof that you're not alone in this and that these thoughts on growth, these questions on growth, these pain points on growth, the celebration on growth is nothing that you have to do by yourself. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. So whatever that looks like, make sure you know that you're ready for the change. You're ready for the party. My time here is done.
Maggie, Maggie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the Jerry. That was the Jerry Springer reference. <laughs> you oh, thank great. you. <laughs> you did awesome. Thank you so much, Maggie, for uh, for putting that together. And I think just some topics that I don't think a lot of us think about, and just the humble journey to growth, and not trying to grow too fast, and having a, a long term vision. I want to just give um, two minutes to Maggie. Just a couple questions. If anyone has a question for Maggie, I'd like to get it answered. Uh, we got Corey coming up right next. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, obviously I think, you know, I'm sure Maggie will open up her email. Uh, if anyone has any questions, Maggie, what's your email? If anyone wants to reach out to you individually, if that's okay. Yeah. It's just Maggie at Harpeth painting LLC.com. Awesome. Awesome. And if any of you guys have a question, just pop it in real quick. We got, uh, Corey coming up. Um, big question about Maggie slides. Um, guys, this will be posted on my podcast at some time in the near future. It'll be the video version of it. Uh, the Contractor Secrets podcast. So if you guys want access to that, everything's being recorded um, and we'll get that to you. Um, all right. So yeah, so let's get to it. Uh, Maggie, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you joining us. And actually I have one question that came in. What uh, sales volume do you consider a new salesperson? If you can just answer that real quick. Um, after a year of being with our company, we expect a salesperson to be at two and a half million. Okay. So two and a half million opens up the door to provide commission and still make sure everything's yep. right. Yeah. But we give them a year to establish our systems and our customers and all that. Love it. Love it. So Maggie dropped her email in the chat. Thank you so much, Maggie, for joining us guys. Join the PCA. Maggie, are you, are you part of the leadership team over there at the PCA? Yes. Yep. I'm on the board. On the board. 